All right. I'm thinking of the last song that we just sang, Behold Our God, Seated on His Throne. That's Christ, as, as Ryan said. And the way that we behold Christ is in His Word. And we're going we're gonna to look at His Word right now. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 119. Now, many of you may be familiar with Psalm 119 as the longest chapter in the Bible. But we're going to walk through the whole thing this afternoon. Yeah. And Psalm 119, it's, it's a doozy. It's weighing in at a massive 176 verses. But despite its size, it's incredibly well-structured. There's 22 sections, each of the sections corresponding to a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each of the sections has exactly eight verses. So every verse in the first section begins with the letter Aleph. Every letter of the second, uh, every letter of the first, sorry, every verse of the second section begins with the letter Beth, right? So it, it's incredibly well structured. And the structure is fascinating, but more so is the consistent topic throughout the entire psalm. The primary theme throughout is the sufficiency of God's Word, the sufficiency of Christ, using the same synonymous terms that we looked at last week in Psalm 19. God's Word, His testimonies, precepts, law, promise, statutes, ways, rules, and commandments. I'm going to pray right now, and then we'll walk through all 176 verses, section by section, to see how God's word, how Christ is sufficient in every situation in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would cause us to love you more and long for you and your word as we consider Psalm 119 right now. Please show us your glory in your word and cause, us, ca cause your spirit to stir up affection for you and your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, here we go. First section, Aleph, says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. When it says blessed, an another word for that is happy. Happy. Happiness or blessing comes to those who not only have or hear God's word, but who keep it and apply it to their lives. And God's word is desirous to make us happy, but it's also commanded by God to obey his word. Now we have a problem, though, because we cannot truly obey in our own effort. 
We're utterly dependent on God to change our hearts, to make us able to obey. And he did that. He enabled us through the death and resurrection of his son and the indwelling, life-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now the next section, Beth, says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. There's an important question asked at the beginning of this section, and the rest of the section answers that question. How can a young man keep his way pure? The answer is by applying God's word every day. By God's power, committing his word to memory to combat temptations that come all the time. By repetition and experience, learning to desire God's word more than anything else in life. Now, we are not all young men. Some of us are old men. Some of us are not even men. But we at least all know a young man, and we at least all know that there are struggles and temptations that beset people through life. And that's, that's what that section is about, is about the temptations that come, and that we can, we can combat those temptations through his word. Okay, next section. Gimel says, deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. How often do we find ourselves busy and consumed with the cares of life? Paying the bills, fixing the car, going to endless meetings, making countless phone calls, mundane errands, or even once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, spending time with family. We fill up our schedules with things that appear to be quite important. But brothers and sisters, there is nothing as important as God's word and our relationship with him through Christ. Ultimately, our very existence is due to God's grace. And our lives should reflect that. 
Our top priority in life should be to worship Him in obedience to His Word. This world is not our final destination. So we shouldn't live like it is. Next section, Daleth, says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Sorrow and depression can be blinding and self-perpetuating. I know this from experience. There are many things that produce sorrow, but a child of God has no reason to wallow in it because we have a sure hope in Christ. When you're sorrowful, tell your heavenly Father and he will absolutely hear you. And he will comfort you through his word and through your brothers and sisters in Christ. Rather than clinging to despair, cling to God's word and you will find life and joy as he reveals himself to your heart. Next section, hey, says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. <clears throat> Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. <clears throat> Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Now this section brought to my mind the Pilgrim's Progress, where Pilgrim and Faithful had to go through Vanity Fair on their way to the Celestial City. The whole point of that fair was to draw the pilgrims aside from their pursuit of the celestial city with vain pleasures and desires. In this section of Psalm 119, we read the psalmist's prayer to the Lord to keep him from these vanities. We know that God's word is better than these vain things, but they're still tempting. And we must rely on his power to keep us desi desiring him and his word. The next section, <clears throat> next section is Wa or Vav. It says, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. 
your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Now this section is about apologetics. How many of you know what apologetics is? Now the word apologetics comes from the Greek apologia, which means to make a defense. It's also where we get the English word apology or apologize. And modern apologists say that apologetics doesn't have anything to do with evangelism because evangelism is telling people about Christ. And apologetics is proving the existence of God and the credibility of the Bible. There's nothing in Scripture that says we must defend the existence of God or the credibility of Scripture. Those things speak for themselves. Apologetics in Scripture is giving a defense or a reason for the hope that is in you. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, the hope that is in us is the hope of Jesus Christ. So apologetics is evangelism. The next section, Zion, says, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Now here are two situations in life that are not unrelated. The first situation is affliction. And our comfort in the midst of our affliction is from God through his word. The second situation is witnessing those who have forsaken God and his word. For the psalmist, the wicked had absolutely heard God's word because they lived in a nation and time where God's word was proclaimed among the whole nation. Now, it was probably those same people that had abandoned God's word who were causing the afflictions in which comfort is found in God's word. And the hot indignation felt towards the ones causing our affliction become overshadowed by remembrance of God and his blessings through his word. The next section, Heth, says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. 
Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. So the psalmist sees the Lord as his portion rather than any other earthly treasure. And he pleads with the Lord with all of his heart for grace according to his promise. That is the promise of salvation. And then we get a picture of the unrelenting pursuit of God's word throughout life. Feet turned toward God's testimonies, hastening without delay, yet enduring the snares of the wicked, thanking God at all hours and running with like-minded companions. The last verse of this section is very similar to the overall point of Psalm 19 that we looked at last week. It says, the whole earth declares God's steadfast love and drives us to learn more about him from his word. Now the next section, Teth, says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now we read about afflictions already, but here we see afflictions directly from the Lord. These hard times, these Difficulties and afflictions are the discipline of the Lord to teach us his word. The Lord always deals well with us, even when it's difficult for us, because he is altogether righteous. And sometimes we may be tempted to think that our affliction is a punishment for God, as other people lie and say that we must have sinned to deserve such punishment Kind of like Job, how his counselor said, surely you must have done something really bad to deserve this punishment. Or the man who, man who was blind from birth, the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born this way? It's not about that. It's about God's glory. And the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines us to teach us and to grow us into the likeness of Christ. And when we experience his discipline, we can take comfort from his word that he loves us. Amen. Now the next section, Yod, says, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. 
Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. This section sounds very similar to the previous one, doesn't it? But this one's responding to the Lord's discipline beginning with the Lord's prerogative to discipline us because he made us. And then it highlights others rejoicing at our godly response and learning from our example. Verses 74 and 79 indicate that. There's also a contrast between the insolent being put to shame for their false accusations in verse 78 and the psalmist not being put to shame because the Lord would make his heart blameless, according to God's word. We are made blameless through Christ. Because when God looks at us, he sees his son, not our failings. In the next section, Kaf says, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on the earth but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Where in the second section, we read of the young man who could keep his way pure. Here we see the perseverance of the elderly, the shriveled wineskin parched by smoke. We all have our own salvation stories, but imagine, if you will, a person who has been a believer since they were a small child. They live their life always looking in hope to the promise of God being fulfilled in their lifetime. After a while, the question of how long drifts into their mind, but they still remain faithful. Throughout their long years, they have endured much persecution, but still they remain faithful. And now at the end of their life, their only request is to be given the chance to continue in obedience to God's word. And we will all continue our joyful obedience to God's word into eternity. May we all aspire to such faithfulness to God's word as the psalmist has depicted here. All right, how are we feeling? Good? This is the halfway point. We're halfway through. <laughs> the next section, 
Lamed says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Now, this is almost a continuation of the thoughts of the previous section. As the psalmist has come to the end of his long life, he reflects on the Lord's faithfulness and sovereignty displayed in all of creation. And he also considers the difficulties he endured in life and attributes his perseverance to God's word. Then he concludes the section by considering how God's word is beyond the limited perfection we can consider as finite creatures. The next section, Mem, says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now here, the psalmist considers his love for God's word and why he loves it so much. He loves it because it imparts wisdom and knowledge beyond anything humanly derived. Because of God's word, we can have more wisdom, knowledge, and understanding than anyone, whether they be enemies, teachers, or the elderly. The psalmist also loves God's word because it is more desirous than anything else. And he prays that the Lord would keep him from desiring anything else above it. The next section, noon, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now, have any of you ever had to make important decisions in a life or death situation? 
I know there are a number of nurses in here, so I, I, I can see you nodding your heads. Now, I haven't. But I understand, as this section points out, that God's word is the best source of wisdom, especially when our life is on the line. It's in these moments when we can very easily be tempted to forsake God's word, but in his strength, we persevere and find that the Lord upholds us to the end. The next section, Samek, says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Now, the first half of this section, again, deals with afflictions from enemies who have forsaken God's word. The psalmist prays that the Lord would deliver him from his enemies so that he can continue honoring God, honoring God's word, and that he would not be shamed for hoping in it. And the second half is a negative argument for holding to the word of God, where the psalmist highlights the negative aspects of forsaking God's word to encourage the opposite. All right, next section. Ayin says, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Now, the psalmist refers to his insolent oppressors again. The ones he has already mentioned who have forsaken God's word. He asks the Lord not to allow their oppression because he has remained faithful to keep God's word. The rest of the section is proof that he is not like his oppressors. He longs for God's promise to be fulfilled. He desires to be taught God's word. He yearns for justice against God's broken law. He desires God's word above all else. He hates anything that goes against God's absolute truth. May we, may we learn to have the same proof of affection for God's word. In the next section, Peh says, Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. 
Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The passion the psalmist exudes in this section reminds me again of Psalm 19. God's word is wonderful and makes wise the ignorant. The psalmist desires it like he would pant for water on a hot summer day. He highlights three aspects of sin that only God can fix. Our own indwelling sin, sin against us from others, and sin that we otherwise witness in the world. You can see that in verse 133. It says, keep steady my steps according to your promise. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. That's our indwelling sin that he deals with. And then in 134, sin against us from others. Redeem me from man's oppression. And then the last verse, 136, is the sin that we witness in the world. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The good news is that because of the death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf, we've been redeemed by faith in him. And one day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will live with him in perfect, joyful obedience forever. In the next section, Tisada says, uh, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Now this section is about humility. The psalmist confesses God as righteous and that his judgments are right and his testimonies are faithful. This is in contrast to the proud who would be so bold as to judge God for his actions or to criticize the Bible as myth. In humility, we have a zeal for God's word over our own and a sure hope in his promises which will be fulfilled to eternity as our troubles in this life are fleeting. The next section, cough, says, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me, 
with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Have any of you ever been persecuted to the point that you weren't sure if your life would be taken or not? We don't experience that here in the United States, at least not yet. I haven't, but I've read many stories from The Voice of the Martyrs and the book Tortured for Christ by Richard Wurmbrand. And this section strikes me as a plea for help and a reminder of hope for those in such situations. Our hope is found in God's word, in Christ. The next section, Resh, says, Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Now, in considering the differences between the persecutors and the ones being persecuted, the main difference is how God's word is viewed. Much like how Marcos read the, the uh, parable of the sower. What does God's word do in your heart? Does it fall away? Does it sink deep? Is it loved and embraced or is it spurned and discarded? The ones who love God's word are persecuted. They have pain and trouble in life seemingly because of God's word. But they have salvation through faith in the promise of the Messiah. The ones who hate God's word are not persecuted. Their life does not have that pain and trouble, but they also do not have salvation. Which is the worst situation? Momentary affliction, but peace and joy forever, or momentary peace, but agony and torment forever. The next section, sin or shin, says, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word, like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do, do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. 
Many things can tempt us to compromise on our devotion to God and his word. And the psalmist highlights just two of them here. It can be tempting to just go with the flow under governmental persecution and when wealth is obtained by compromising God's commands. But our hope is not in pleasing influential people or in monetary gain. Our hope is in God and his promises, which are greater than the greatest wealth and bigger than the biggest influencer. The next section, the last section, Ta, says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The conclusion of this psalm focuses on our prayers and God's answer to these prayers based on his word. In all the situations in life throughout this psalm, from the youth who seeks to keep his way pure to the elderly saint who has experienced a lifetime of persecution, prayer and God's word are the means of communing with God in reliance upon his strength to remain faithful and overcome our temptations. And the final verse sums up our situation. We've heard God's commands in his word such that we cannot forget them, yet we still wander like sheep. We can't do it on our own. We can't keep God's word perfectly in our own strength and ability. We cannot save ourselves from our sin and from God's wrath against our sin. We need him to rescue us, to seek us, to pursue us. And he did that. He did that through the death and resurrection of his son. Now, if you've heard God's word and you understand that you cannot be righteous before him without the righteousness of Christ, but you've not put your faith in him to save you, then I beg you, right now, do it. Do it right now. God's word tells us that Jesus is the only way to be right with God and the only way to have eternal life in joyful obedience in God's presence forever. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness and grace, you have given us your word so that we can know you. Thank you for this reminder that in every situation in life, our hope and our help 
is in the gospel of Jesus Christ found in your word. I pray that you would keep the truth of your word in front of our eyes. Make it so evident that we cannot help but see it and love you more because of it. Please give us power in your spirit to reject sin and embrace you every moment of every day. And help us to remember that others are battling sin as well so that we can encourage each other in the fight. Give us compassion for the lost and use us to further the gospel in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.